king of comedy. Two. Me? Not you. It's going to be our boy, Bobby De Niro. Bobby D. Oh, are you? This is so funny. Are, are, are we doing a sequel to Martin Scorsese's 1981 film, The King of Comedy? Oh, yeah, we are, buddy. That's so funny. I just watched it. Oh, that's wow, so Wow, this is funny. great. Yeah, no, our agent, Jimmy Talgado, called us. Scorsese's biggest bomb is getting a sequel. You ready? King of Comedy 2. Here we go. Podcast 2. Podcast. Podcast. Two. Podcast Two. The sequel. Welcome to another great episode of Podcast Two: The Sequel, the only show on the entire World Wide Web where two of Hollywood's top ghostwriters uh, write sequel pitches to films that desperately need sequels. This week, we are taking on the king of comedy. Before we go any further, I want to alert our audience that there will be heavy spoilers throughout this episode, as with any of our episodes. So if you have not yet seen Martin Scorsese's incredible, hilarious, the king of comedy, uh, go ahead and go to YouTube.com. Somebody illegally uploaded it, and you can watch it all for Whole free. Movies or online. it's on Hulu. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty easy to see. It's uh, this movie... As I said, in, in a lot of ways, it's considered one of Scorsese's biggest bombs because it followed up his obvious classic, Raging Bull. Um, this was the next movie he made. It was made for something like $20 million. How many had he made at this point, Raging Bull? What's the, his order of films in he's, his um, output, do you know? I mean, he's like one of those guys whose career is more long-winding than you expect. Here, I'm clicking over to his IMDb. Yeah, like, because, like, most people think of him as, like, his first movie being Mean Streets. But that's not his first movie. His first uh, feature film. He made this movie called Who's That Knocking on My Door? He made this movie called Boxcar Bertha. Then his third movie was Mean Streets. His fourth movie is Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Fifth movie is Taxi Driver. Sixth is New York, New York. Seventh is The Last Waltz. Eighth is Raging Bull. This is his ninth movie. Um, and it's kind of like what would begin a change in his arc because he had started as like part of the like film school brats, him, Spielberg, Coppola, George Lucas, Brian De Palma. I, and I, it's funny nowadays that like Scorsese has the reputation of being like Mr. Movie. He's like, if you know a director, it's like Spielberg's the populist one, Scorsese's the gangster movie, artsier, you know, film bro one. But like, at the time, like, Coppola was like Mr. Movie, George Lucas was Mr. Pop Culture, like popcorn movie, and like Scorsese was like the New York guy. But after Raging Bull, this began a string of just like things that were not quite hitting. He did this, then After Hours, then The Color of Money, which did hit actually, but then Last Temptation of Christ, which is like one of his ultimate flops, a passion project that just did not go well, um, and eventually rebounded with Goodfellas. But like he, this was, and it's a funny thing where in interviews to this day, he'll reference that during the ball drop, of um what year did this come out um 
during the ball drop of the night leading into 1983, because this came out in 82, um, Entertainment Weekly called this the bomb of the year because it had been made for $20 million and only grossed $2 million. And like literally in interviews for Killers of the Flower Moon, you can hear Scorsese. He's like, he's like I just don't think that was fair. I don't think that was called for to call it the bomb of the year. It was a pretty good picture, you know? So like it still bothers him that this bombed. Yeah, I saw that on a when like Francesco Scorsese, his his Zoomer daughter, for those who don't uh, follow this stuff way too closely, uh, posted. Yeah, got him to start talking about it while doing like a TikTok trend. And but like she put on the stupid TikTok voice on it, so it's more like I don't, I, I just don't think it was fair. It was like so, that was crazy. Um, yeah, man, what a fucking movie! I had never seen it before until, and I was actually. For those who listen to the show closely, and certainly for those who know me in real life, uh, a running uh, gag for me is that I am a one of those horrible film people who don't watch enough movies, and I've slept on a lot of Scorsese for a long time, and every time I watch one, I'm like, oh, this is the best thing ever, but I'm a procrastinator with watching. Anyway, had never seen this before, put it on, because uh, I was looking to watch The Godfather, because I put that one off for 30 years, and I was like... And then it wasn't on streaming for free. I was like, okay, well, what is and King of Comedy was? Anyway, banger movie. Absolutely hilarious. It's so cool to watch old stuff that everybody's like, it's really good. It's really good. And you're like, oh, it's really important. I'll watch it. And then you put it on and it's just a rip roaring good time. Yeah. It's funny. It's crazy. It does stuff. Well, but I want to dig into exactly what interested you and like got you into it um, just for the audience before we dive too deep in. In case you haven't watched it, this will have spoilers, but just you don't necessarily need to. The the big picture of the plot of this movie is it stars Robert De Niro. He's lives in Brooklyn with his mom. He's like a 35-year-old failed son that wants desperately wants to be the star of a late night talk show. He's obsessed with uh Jerry Lewis character, who's played by Jerry Lewis, who's like a Johnny Carson of his time. And it's kind of this unfolding narrative of him trying to befriend this Johnny Carson type and eventually taking him kidnapped so that he can go on the show and can become famous. Um, he teams up with a young woman who's similarly obsessed with this Johnny Carson type. And um, together they both get to live their dreams. He gets to go on Jerry Lewis's show and becomes a household name as a famous comedian for doing something so crazy as kidnapping this host. And she gets to have a romantic-ish date night with uh, this Johnny Carson type. And it's kind of, uh, it's like a cringy, awkward take on a lot of what he tackled in Taxi Driver. So, uh, yeah, Sam, you hadn't seen this before. I hadn't seen this in like 10 years. Sam, what'd you think? Yeah. Beautiful. I mean, fantastic. But let's talk about your summation of the film because I think the big debate with it, the big question it sort of poses at the end is... um, is this real? So throughout the film, uh, De Niro's character uh, will have these sort of dream sequences where he's hanging out with uh, Jerry Lewis or Jerry Lewis's character, Jerry Langford, which is just himself. Um, and Jerry Langford is like, oh, you're the funniest guy. I love you, Rupert. You're the best, blah, blah, blah. And then you'll be pulled out of reality. And he's literally living in his mom's basement. And um, which is like, oh, was that that's like such an early example of the trope when you look at it. Uh, but 
at the end, you know, he gets arrested and then there's a time like t they show through newsreels and stuff, time passing. And then when he gets released six years later, he becomes a big star. But the question is, is that a hallucination? And when we when it comes time for us to write this sequel in the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to have to figure out what our take on that is. But uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Max, because it's, it's a very subjective film. Yeah. There's a quote that Scorsese said he, like, didn't want you to ever be able to tell the difference filmically between hallucinations and, like, real-life actions in the movie. Um, as Sam mentioned, there's interesting early scenes where he's, like, having a fake interview with um, the Jerry Lewis character, and then suddenly it'll cut out to his mom screaming at him from upstairs. Um, which sets up an interesting divide where, like, actually you can clearly tell what he's hallucinating and what he's not, but it creates an interesting structure for the film later like there's a scene where he has tricked his high school sweetheart into coming on a quote-unquote date with him to jerry's house out in like long island and has convinced her that he's actually friends with jerry and when they show up at the house at first i'm like well this must be another hallucination that he got her to actually come. But as the scene plays out, it's like, oh my God, it's not. It's because of that approach Scorsese was doing of like, you just can't ever really tell what's real or what's not based off how it's shot. And obviously at the end, when he goes and performs on the show and is celebrated, it's really playing with that at that point where it's like, is that all in his head? I think based off of the way America is and based off of the narrative of the story um i do think he kidnapped jerry Lew i think it's totally viable that someone would kidnap a late night star go on their show deliver a half decent monologue and people would eat that shit up i certainly agree i mean especially now uh at the time this was made this was i mean at the time this was written because this was written about a decade before it was actually shot it was sort of floating around i think and uh that was before even the John Lennon assassination had happened or the uh, uh, John Hinckley killing Reagan because he was obsessed with um, Jodie Foster, interestingly enough, because of her performance in Scorsese's Taxi Driver. But so it's it's funny to think like, well, Scorsese might have fully thought of that when he made this as like, yeah, this is a this is a pipe dream. This is not what happened. But now that is I mean, the president of the United States uh, the one prior to now and the next one we are almost certainly having <clears throat> uh, is, you know, a reality TV star who got famous by just being a prick on TV. So there you go. Uh, yeah, but we'll we'll have to grapple with what is and isn't real as we get into it. Um, damn, what a fucking picture. I. I mean, I'm I'm chomping at the bit to get into the sequel. I mean, what what else what else can be said about such a great film? I mean, Is what do you funny think made you? it great? I mean, it's what it does so many things that I was like, you know, I knew it was, I knew when it's from. I knew it's from the 80s. It's not like this was the birth of cinema. But as we get older and now the 80s are like 40, 50 years, uh, it's like crazy to see them do things that, you know, when filmmakers do them in modern movies, when filmmakers do them in movies this year and you see it, you're like, oh, wow, that clever, clever trick. Like when it pulls us in and out of the hallucinations, I was, when I first did that, I was like, ooh, ooh, tr like, look at that little crafty, that's a master filmmaker at work there. And it's like, 
you know, you see someone do that, and there's probably a big release this year that was that's probably in the Oscar noms that tries something like that, and you're like, you know, you think that's great. I mean, I think going back to with this hallucination thing, what Scorsese said about um, not wanting it to be cinema, the cinematic language to to clearly say what is and isn't a hallucination is a very mature way to do it because I think like I think back to when we first went into film school. And it was the first year in our program at SUNY Purchase that it wasn't mandatory to shoot on film. Uh, it was optional. And you had every other student at the school was like, my film's going to do sometimes film and sometimes digital. And it'll be, it's like when it's a hallucination, it's film. Or when it's, when it's a flashback, it's film. But in present day, it's digital. And there were like nine different kids with a different motivation for how they were going to spend more money. And uh, it's funny, you know, I mean, Oppenheimer does this, though. Oppenheimer does the thing where it's like, it's like, oh, well, it's in color when it's this and it's in black and white when it's a memory or whatever he said it is. But it's funny because Oppenheimer being done by a very good filmmaker, once it establishes those rules, which aren't even that clearly understood, I think, on a first pass, unless you're a really analytical thinker or viewer, is uh, it, it blends those. You know, it starts playing with it in the third act. You're never sure what's truth and what's a lie and it's great but it's cool to see someone like Scorsese who has at that moment all the resources in the book showing so much restraint and be like no I want like he could go so stylisty he could do whatever he wants he's like I want you to be confused and I'm going to show restraint yeah it's I mean it's a I hadn't seen this movie in 10 years when I was a little nerdy film boy in uh, high school I saw God, those, this. Good thing those days are behind you. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I was particularly uh, like the type that wanted to watch a movie every night, like I felt like I'd failed the day if I hadn't seen a movie that night. I saw this movie. I loved it. There, I still to this day remember how much this sequence where he is imagining himself performing to an audience, but it's really just this empty hallway he's in with like pictures of people on the wall that look like an audience. It, like that and the sound design of it just blew my mind as like a young kid seeing what movies could do. And I used to always say this was Scorsese's best film. And it's certainly up there to me still. I mean, I've kind of reverted back to being like, yeah, but Goodfellas is like filmmaking wise, the one that still gets me to this day that I'm still floored by. But not talking about Goodfellas, I think... This movie's interesting in that it bombed, in that it's so not considered a seminal classic that it is literally uploaded on YouTube for free and the company that owns it doesn't care. Um, and I think, spoiler alert for future episodes of ours, uh, we also just watched American Psycho, maybe for a future episode, who knows? Um, but having just watched that as well, it's interesting to me how this is a film that largely operates similar to Taxi Driver, similar to American Psycho, where it's like, we're going to put you with a character that like we you can tell immediately that they have a deranged view of the world. You can tell immediately that their wants and needs are not good or healthy. Um, but there's a funny thing with Taxi Driver. There's a funny thing with American Psycho with a lot of anti-hero movies where like, there's a part of it that's presented as cool. There's a part of it that's like a little sexy, that's a little intoxicating. And I think one of the coolest things about this movie is how abundantly 
brutal and uncool it is to watch this main character, Rupert Pupkin. He is horrifyingly awkward to watch. He's horrifyingly uncharismatic, but not unlikable, not like gross like you're almost you almost care about him at all times but then it he never quite lets you get that close and i think there's a realism to how the film approaches a character like that all that is to say that it's like i think it's ahead of its time and that it's capturing a lot of what like the made the office successful where it's like brutally awkward to watch but once again in a more british office type of way it's not redeemable it's not cute it's not relatable it's like a completely uncharismatic guy that's kind of a horrible person and you're stuck with him i like what you're saying about this being like early especially for american cringe comedy i mean i guess it's I keep thinking of this movie. I guess it's because, like I was just saying, like, time has just passed. And so the 80s now are way further back than the 80s were when I, like, when we were kids and we watched things from the 80s. And it was like, oh, that wasn't that long. And now it's like, that was like the 50s when we were kids watching movies. But um, it is, I mean, yeah, it's an early cringe comedy. But I take issue, or not issue, but I disagree with what you say about him being utter i mean it's bobby de niro and i mean at at this age at least you know now he's old but he's still very charming and he's just he's very handsome and he's very everybody who talks to him is like oh like that's the thing is that like everything he does he almost gets away with like when he in the opening scene when he gets into jerry's car and uh he does the thing like at first jerry's like get out and then he's like no come on sir i saved your life and he's like okay and it almost goes really well. Like the opening scene, you feel it be like, like you're like, oh shit, like he kind of just nailed that. And then like like in The Office, it's like he doesn't know when to quit. He doesn't know when to stop. And he takes it too far. And he literally goes like, Jerry, Jerry. And he keeps calling for him as he's walking away. And it's like, oh, you blew it, dude. No, and I think, I think De Niro is masterful in this in that he like rides that line perfectly of... You kind of root for him, but at the end of the day, every decision he's making is off and is like uncomfortable to sit with. And um, I think it makes sense to me that this movie's, in terms of the history of it, I talked a little bit about like how it falls in the context of Scorsese's career, but how this all started was uh, this was a spec script. De Niro bought the rights to it. He read this script. Do you want to explain what a what a spec script is for some of the people yeah. maybe not as in the industry as you and I are? Totally. A spec script, What's a spec script is Max? something that's just written with the hopes of it being made someday, but there's no studio, there's no money behind it yet. It's just a passionate, usually less known writer has put pen to paper in hopes that maybe someday this will be produced, but there's no promise of it. And especially in the eighties, usually was... by someone else. Yeah. Like they're not going to make it themselves. Yeah. Which, you know, cause Mar Marty doesn't write. He does. He's not a writer. He's only mm -hmm. a director. Except when he killed it with killers of the flower moon. But, um, he, um, gotta they, what'd you say? I said, I gotta see it. I haven't oh, seen okay. it. I was waiting for it to come out on streaming. It's out. 
You have like nine thousand Apple products. They keep telling, they keep giving, like sending me notifications to be like, "Watch this movie. We spent so much money on it. It's so." Depressing. They don't send me those notifications. They're like, they're like, this guy hasn't watched any Scorsese movies before. He's not going to start now. <laughs> they're like, popsicles are on last sale film. on the Apple Store. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> like, they're like, there's a new update on Postmates. Sam, get it quick. <laughs> um. <laughs> So you can chat with your driver in real time and be like, is it still hot? Is it still hot? Is it coming? Where's the food? Hey, just before this call, I was driving home and I swung by the Raisin Canes, get some chicken, bought one box of chicken. They gave me three for free by accident. And I sped the fuck off. And so I'm feeling like a king of. Wait, was this the story that you were like, I got to save that for the mic? Was this the story? You were like, you're gonna like no, this. There were, no, this there's a different one. No, no, this no, is... no. I had a different one. You were gonna like. <laughs> okay. I was. I was uh, worried. No, my... you can't say. <laughs> do not add it to the chicken story. That just like we're gonna be on our YouTube graph, and it's like all numbers plunge at the riveting <laughs> chicken story. <laughs> Three for the price of one. I think Apple probably... notified them if you give this schmuck. <laughs> extra chicken he's gonna come so many times to give it maybe again maybe <laughs> i will i'll, I'll keep trying let's think i'm a horrible gambler uh think of it what are we talking about with the movie um and not with chicken um, boxes here's what well here's something i want to ask you about this movie yeah do you i i see this movie and I think for anyone who's ever tried to make it in this business, yeah. as you and I both are to varying degrees of success, um, I think that is a it's an uncomfortable character to watch because it is so real. Oh, it's so relatable. We all we all know this guy, but I, like we've all met a guy like this. But it's also it's like yeah, like this is sort of what you're taught to be. And because the thing is, is that like until he takes it too far in every scene. He's doing what you're told to do. He's yeah. doing that. They always like he does. I mean, he doesn't yes take and the no, it but it's like advice. a very American right. thing where he's like Jerry's advice in the car early on is true, where it's like you're where you're supposed to be. Go to a club, work your way up. It's a very American thing where it's like, yeah, but I'm ready. Like I can just network my way into the position I ought to be in. I don't need to put in the work. It's but then like, in the end, it's like he kind like that's the funny thing is like in the end, I kept waiting for his set to like. I mean, and it's tr it's hard for me to judge because, once again, this was like a hundred years ago, but like the comedy on his set wasn't it wasn't particularly funny to me. There was like one or two things that we go, huh. but compared to the other stuff that they showed from that show, I was like. This is just as bad slash good, depending yeah, on it's similar. your I mind. mean, and that's what that's part of what's interesting about that climax, whether it's real or not. I think it's more interesting if it's real. Is like at the end of the day, once you make it, quote unquote, like you're kind of on easy mode. It's yeah, like wow. he there's canned laughter in the audience. It's it's the easiest it's going to be to get a laugh, um, and that's why I kind of buy that like someone could succeed in the way he did. Um, Is I just, that, uh, yeah. are they in the world of the film slash at that time, were they for late night shows, were they doing live studio audience? Yeah. I, I mean, mean for that's at least just after. Canned. 
per se. It's it's or performative, canned, right? They're, they're giving a, them a sign. There's a line, yeah, a sign that lights up that says clap. Laugh. But they never even showed, they never like did the, sh- the classic shot, you know, the classic gag they do in a million cartoons where you show the sign that says laugh now. Uh-huh. Like they don't show that in the film, right? Um, they don't do it. They don't show that in the film, I guess. But like, it's, well, I mean, look, you hear the jokes. They're not gonna send anyone, make anyone's sides hurt. You know, it's, it's a fine set. I mean, there's like another element of this that's worth talking about, which is the Joker in the room, not the King of comedy Joker, but the ha ha ha. Why so serious Joker, which is that, um, Todd Jared Leto. <laughs> not that I was worried <laughs> when when our American Psycho episode got canceled today. I was like, oh, we're not going to be able to talk about Jared Leto, but we still can because we've got to talk about Joker. Our our episode. Which, uh, our uh, we're, get ready to be damaged. Um, except we're not uh, <laughs> we're not talking about that Joker. We're talking about your sides. Jo- your sides are going to be hurting so much from laughing <laughs> that you'll be damaged. I can't believe he's in the Tron movie. I, he must have. Some I can. Dirt. Like, um, well, I guess we're not. We're trying to not say bad things about other filmmakers on the mic as much. So, yeah, yeah, I'm sure everyone involved is going to do a great movie, and I think it totally makes sense that they didn't bring back the last director who just came off of Top Gun Maverick. You know, yeah. why would you hire him to pick up a project he's been developing for a decade that he was really passionate about? But whatever, you know, it's fine. Whatever. I'm sure that Sean Levy, that we've never talked about on this show before, will do a great job. He's got a great track record. He All could the bring in Taika. He could bring in Taika for that masterful improv. He could, dude. Taika's gonna be the. Fu- He's probably gonna be like Donkey Kong. Be like, hey, I'm Donkey Kong. Yeah. Oh look. Oh whoops! I dropped a barrel. Look at me. Oh. Uh. If we brought brought him on the show, we could get some incredible riffs that are like, oh, king of comedy? More like king of bombity, dropping bombs all over, bombs, bombs in the sky, airplanes flying, they're crashing, they're, they're, they're burning up, there, there's farts in the sky too. What if an airplane went, and like, you know, master riff. What's the joke here? That's the bit, is that, have you seen these clips of him like... Passing. Oh, yeah, I did see that. Okay, I was like, I was doing a riff on the free guy set where he's right. like where he's yeah, like trying yeah, to do yeah. like loose improv thinking right it's isn't like, that just before like someone in a talking head is like tyke is such an amazing improviser i and think they call him a genius like, and it's base it's a not much better than what i just did it's um well if we got him on the show we could also get some really good c-o-c-a-n-e uh so that would be nice too oh cocaine yeah, you can't say that for the YouTube. We got. We also have to start bleeping swears. I watched some videos about. It. We can't have any more swear. We have to bleep them now. I told you that off mic. I told you that like five months ago, and you got made. You got mad at me, and <laughs> I got so made at you. You got mad. No, at I got me made. I'm a made man. Now. You got mad I'm at a, me I'm and said mat- that's made up. That's not true. It's not going to be cool if we do that. Well, it's because I didn't. It was before I watched. Whatever, it's fine. Um, I look. You have to understand why sometimes I don't trust you. Why? What? What's like a thing I've made up? Think of an example. I don't want to. I don't want to. Di- I don't want to scrape old wounds live on the mic. I don't want to. 
I don't want to get others involved. It's you've hurt too many people. There's a, it's like uh, it's like Donkey Kong going on a rampage through New York City. You know, it's like, and I'm okay, a little. Can, I, I have some big industry news for you. You can tell me if I'm making this up or not. <laughs> okay, this will be a game. You can tell can me if I'm making this up. Can you give me th- like two real and one fake? Um. <laughs> Two I just really want to share this deadline info. edition. I'll I'll put something fake in here. I'll put something fake in here. Someone that was a guest on the show already. We won't say who it was, but they've appeared in a prior episode of the show. Worked with me on a movie where this person was my assistant editor and I was the editor. <laughs> the offices that we worked in were very tight and confined. We were working in the producer's office of the movie. But this assistant editor, our prior guest, was having a lot of issues with how much they were farting at the time. They were really, <laughs> really gassy. I know that part's true. Nice try. I know that's part that's true. So, But the issue was that this person was too close to me and the director all the time to be able to let the farts out. So the producers of the movie were rarely there. And so this person would frequently go into the office of these producers and fart. And he just fart. They, (laughs) they would just fart in there all day. And then one time these producers came back from a big meeting and (laughs) they thought there was a gas leak in that room because he, they'd farted in there so much. (laughs) <laughs> and those producers got nominated for an Academy Award today, and I got to text this person and say, I'll bet <laughs> very few people can say that they loaded any Oscar nominees' offices with so many farts that they thought that they had to switch offices. <laughs> so, is that it's a funny. lie? I mean, is that made up? <laughs> that's all true. That's all true, and I know who did it, and I think it's funny because I've smelled, sorry, their farts, uh, which I'm saying, I'm not saying in a like transphobic way. I'm saying in they're a, not they uh, them. They're not they them. They're not nope. they them. Max was trying was failing to obscure their pronouns, which are he him because we have like five guests. Anyway, uh, I've smelled his farts, and they do brain damage, and I wonder if that sort of got the, those filmmakers to start making a good movie. Perhaps, you know, it's all I know uh, is that they these producers had just left a meeting with (laughs) a a very nominated actor this year as well. They walked out of that meeting into an office full of farts. (laughs) (laughs) And in a way, that was part of the pre-production of a Best Picture nominated movie. So like our. Our friend, this guest, had a had a big impact on filmmaking. That he should does he is he gonna get a rate for that? Is he gonna get uh, (laughs) points? (laughs) I will just read. I texted when I texted him this. He said, he said, ha ha ha, Jesus, what's the word for feeling shame and honor in equal proportion? So, for anybody that lost Nola, it's like to really be in the biz. These are the kind of things you can learn, you know? 
It's a bummer. Bummer. We're trying to be more tactful and you know stop <laughs> threatening CEOs on the show and stop putting down other filmmakers because I would love to say who it was, but our sleuthing guests. I mean, our sleuthing listeners will just have to try to piece it together. Let us know on X.com, formerly Twitter, uh, who you think it could be. Who could it be? Uh, yeah, look, this is a good... I've got some ideas for this fucking movie, and I am chomping at the bit. Okay, well, we are moving into the writing section. Our agent, Jimmy Telgado, has given us a directive that we need to hit seven key categories in our pitch. Those seven categories are the protagonist, the antagonist, the setting, the theme, the conflict, the beginning, middle, and end, and then uh, what else is a part of screenwriting, Sammy boy? What, what's number seven? I'm saving number seven for for the boy. We said style for oh style, uh, yeah, of course style. Because so we got to prove we could be like the podcast too could move into directing some days. Sorkin always said he never had interest in directing, but did a little bit of Molly's Game, and uh, suddenly uh, Sorkin's directing a lot of bad movies. Shout out to our friend Molly, who listens to the show because she loves games. Molly's game. It's a really funny joke for like three people. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, well, I direct. I, I directed a movie. We're I'm fin- we're finishing it up now, right? Yeah, of course. But the I'm podcast yeah. too. One directs as well. One. You made a one, short. I've made a short. Yeah, of course. I'm not saying we don't. I'm we saying both like, made direct, many shorts. Like big. Big movies. It's a big movie. Like a 50K um, budget or so, give or take. Yeah, of course. Out of a um, mill, if you round. It's, okay. it's closer to uh, a mill than to two mil. So, like, in a lot of ways, your budget was like a mill. <laughs> if zero mil is not an option, it's definitely one mil. <laughs> like, when okay. you're submitting uh, a Matt. film festival's. It only has like an up arrow and a down arrow, and you can only hit it up to one mil. So we're like, I guess that's gonna have to count. Yeah, Sundance Institute. I mean, what? What? It's, it's, I don't know. I don't have a joke. Someone um, take a jeans in them. Someone I don't needs got the more. Someone coke. needs I some mean, assistant editor farts in their room to get those Oscar juices flowing. <laughs> I'll take I'll take the Taika cocaine over the whoever these people were farts any day. I want to know what movie it was, but I know you won't tell me on the mic, so I'll ask you later. I'll probably um, cut this out, but let's just call this person. Podcast two. <laughs> that makes sense. From what I saw, it looked like a movie made on fart brain. So you so okay, so these are our seven things that we need to do according to our agent Jimmy Telgado. Sam, you have been chomping at the bit. Which one of these categories are we gonna tackle first? Or do you just wanna like lob a grenade and throw some ideas in, and then we'll start to answer these seven questions? Well, I want to start with the protagonist question because I've got a couple of ideas, nothing solid here. But with the protagonist, we're dealing with Bobby De Niro. It's been about fifty years. It's been over been a, a, over 40 years since mm-hmm. this movie came out. <laughs> um, right? 
God, I'm, it's pathetic how bad at math I am now. But um, yeah, it's now, been over forty years. Yeah. I I have a guy at Netflix, right? You know, because we're in the biz, and he did say they could give us the assets from the Irishman easily because Netflix is about to wipe those drives anyway. They're cutting costs. Mm-hmm. And he said he could just send me over a Google Drive folder, and we could just de-age Bobby De Niro for this. Can we de-age? Um, let me. Sorry, give me ten seconds. Ten seconds. Can we de-age Jerry Diane Lewis? Abbott? Can we de-age Diane Abbott, who plays Rita? Is she still alive? Is she still alive? Is she still alive? She is still alive. It seems. Yeah, How she's old is still she? alive. I mean, she wouldn't be that old. What should be like? She's like his age. Lyrics. Well, I wanted to bring this up because um, the high school sweetheart in the movie, who he like brings on that awkward date to Jerry's house, is oh, was, was that Diane Abbott? Yeah, that was De Niro's real wife. Um, makes sense, you which know. Makes sense. <laughs> you know, as they say, have you ever seen De Niro with a white woman? He's with his mom. A uh, classic Hollywood riff. I think I was thinking maybe to coax De Niro in, we could get. I don't know who you know who are other maybe Zazy Beats since she was in Joker. Uh, oh, so we're gonna uh, Irishman De Niro, but bring in like a real modern ingenue. Well, I was thinking if we keep him old, because we could also do like he's uh-huh. old now. We could do a uh-huh. legacy sequel, not a legacy sequel where we meet the comedians' kids. All the Prince of Comedy. No, let's not do it. He hasn't had kids. I'm just saying, I'll say this bit and we can cut it out later if we want to, but like... Podcast two. I'm probably going to cut that out. My gut, my gut that's is fine. that's going. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth a shot. I made a, um, pre, I made a pre... Sometimes when we're doing the episode, I'm like editing oh. it in my head. You're like, my response will be to give up, give me the edit, essentially. Like, I'll just, like, be watching you, and I'm like, okay, say, remember how this bit started so you can say something that makes <laughs> it really easy to chop this out. <laughs> um, you okay. should edit out that bit, but keep what you just said in, because that's um, funny. It's pretty um, good. So what do you think listen, of this character? Uh, I think that there's, I see some of routes, and one route I could see is that the end of The King of Comedy 1 was, in fact, a hallucination. He did not only serve six years in prison. He got sentenced to like 40 years in prison. Uh, uh, like Jerry Langford pushed hard. Like he pushed those charges hard. Got this guy 40 years. He gets out 40 years later. He's old Bobby De Niro. But to his surprise, because he's been iced out of the outside world, you know, he didn't have any family to keep him abreast of what's going on. He comes out and actually... The story's been running dormant, but he comes out, and yeah, there's a bunch of people that are like, and maybe they're like fringe online people, like the like Bushwick kids who were really excited about John Hinckley and tried to get him to perform at like uh, a market hotel or whatever, and then they had to be like, actually, we can't have the guy who tried to kill a president perform here. Not because he tried to kill a president, but because he was creepy. Um, both valid reasons. Creepy. I, 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 uh, anyway... But it would be funny to have him come out that much later and there it's like he does have a fan base. What happens then? Now I had this other idea of Masha from the first film, the uh other the the female uh what do you call these people? I guess they're groupies. They're they're yeah, they're the one that's fans. obsessed with it. Yeah, the girl that helps him kidnap Jerry. Yeah, now she could be back and I wonder 
we don't know what happens to her after the film. Now, what if, here's an idea I'm getting now, what if uh, the hallucination that happens at the end for um, Bobby De Niro didn't happen to him, but it did in fact happen to Masha because she's fucking hot. And like people in the 80s fell in love with her and she was this bombshell in prison and she gets out uh, not long after because she didn't go on TV and she had good lawyers because we saw that she was very wealthy. She's wealthy. Uh, she's a, she's a Trustafarian and uh, she comes out and she's like been living a life. Like she got the 80s reality star treatment uh, <laughs> or whatever. He comes out 40 years later. He's bitter about it. And then, like, someone has a, I just like, you know, classic sequel or classic movie idea. It's like, we've got a job that only you can do. Maybe it's his uh, way out. Of, maybe he got life in prison and this is sort of his suicide squad deal. They're like, if you can get out and if you can take over her show or kidnap Masha, then you'll be, we'll, we'll set you free and you can be the new king of cop. I don't know. I guess when I came on here and I said I had a lot of good ideas, I meant more. I could see myself getting some ideas. That's good. I'm glad you're clarifying that because before we recorded to the audience knows, Sam was like, Max, I got it. I have so many ideas. Definitely not just one that's mostly about, I think Masha's hot. Did you have a crush on <laughs> Masha in the movie? Was that? Was uh, that yeah. You're just, crushing? I'm crushing? I feel like you would be into being duct taped up like that and like being like, Oh no! I have to stay in my chair all day. Oh no! I'm like, <laughs> watch movies and be fed. Oh no! Like it would be a problem if like your bong wasn't near. Like they would need to be able to like bong anchor you. But well, it'd be tricky because my handmade ceramics from Russia uh, before the war. I got it before the war, but it's a finicky device to use, and I wonder if Masha would be able to figure out the trick, especially back then, you know, they didn't know how to smoke weed good. Mm -hmm. It's probably um, like part of your test to see if someone can really be with you, if they can figure out that weird, oddly shaped cylindrical device, is be able to figure you out. You see me out. Keeping it clean. YouTube kids, here we come. We'll be able to, to figure out how to play with your Nathan Fielder, the curse style <laughs> member. Keeping it clean. You can't say that. You can't. That's. It's not even funny. <laughs> and it's also. It's like twelve people will get the joke because twelve people saw the curse. Maybe like, this will get more people to watch the curse. I'm trying to. It's I was when marketing. I was watching the curse. Mm -hmm. In the curse, there's a joke where uh, people refer to two guys, including a fielder, as the uh, cherry tomato boys. Well, I was thinking maybe the podcast too could be the uh, beefsteak tomato boys, but I guess not because you're a fucking prick. Yeah. They came after me unwarranted, uncalled for, and weirdly personal and not accurate at all. It's always, you know what they say, when someone comes at you with this kind of joking allegation, you get really serious and upset about it immediately. That usually I was upset because makes... I thought you were, I thought you were my friend and I thought we were getting serious about writing and you went like, wow, no good ideas to your penis is small for no reason. And then like, you were like, also, I watched a TV show. And you didn't even finish it. Did you finish it yet? Did you see the finale? I uh, I did stop watching halfway stop. through. I did not think it had enough narrative momentum at the time. I'm starting to I see... think that maybe you had a hard time. For those who haven't seen The Curse, uh, I think it's about reality TV and how uh, vapid and horrible of a person you have to be to work in that space. And I think that Max couldn't handle the heat because he makes all of his money 
uh, taking advantage of people in reality TV because he's a sucky busts. But he when he sucks, I don't bust. <laughs> I mean, that is true. If I suck, I'm hoping you don't bust. Um, <laughs> It'd be a well, little the too intimate. You're like you're. You... Um, can you turn on a light? You yeah, you look I'm trying. so sad. Well, we prioritize all the money not... in the world. We prioritize all the money head. in the world, and he can't turn on a light switch. What do you mean all the money in the world? <laughs> all that reality TV cash, taking advantage of those poor real housewives or whatever you do. Um. Okay. Well, yes, I am. I work in reality TV sometimes, um, as I talked about in the Roar episode, uh, lots more stories to come, um, you know, just further proof that our dynamic is super easy to gel with. We're a really, <laughs> our dynamic yeah, it's a is... we didn't have a guest tonight. Yeah, it was going to be like, it's such an inviting environment for, uh. For someone who knows us really well, people, like come people on, people listen to the show and they're like, "It's intoxicating." Like, how? Can, I, they're I, like, "I've got to get on this." Like people are calling me friends. You know, it's all of the microaggressions and meanness. Okay, so here's my question: Is uh-huh. Rupert Pupkin like what's the equivalent of him today? Like, who, who Mr. would someone Beast? like him be obsessed with? You think it would be Mr. Beast? Oh, who? Oh, the equivalent of Jerry Langford today, or the equivalent of? Or I guess just like what's like a modern equivalent of this story? A movie that came to mind was I mean Swifties. Mm -hmm. Yes, an idea I had prior to the episode, or not an idea, even just a thought that popped up for me was like, oh, these like people that run the Twitter fan accounts of these famous people that like track their every move, that just try to get a glimpse of them. Um, that's, this feels like the start of that culture and we're in a whole new era of that now. Um, watching the movie did make me think of Nightcrawler, the Jake Gyllenhaal film from 2010s, which I Great thought film. got into like the, like, it's different though. It's not really, ch- it's chasing like your own celebrity by like getting really viscerally upsetting footage, but it's not like chasing Right, but that's the thing that's like- Masha is like a stan, right? Masha just <laughs> want is just obsessive and like wants autographs and wants to fuck her crush. But yeah. like he wants the like uh, himself. He doesn't He aspires. Yeah, he sees it as a mm-hmm. as a way to get in. It is also it's like as a role model. That's so, an interesting but not device. enough to make him work hard. Yeah, I mean it is um it's a difference. So I mean, yeah, what if gosh, what if what if the FBI taps him because the Swifties are getting out of hand? And, uh, like, because okay. it is. It's like, if Taylor Swift wanted to cause a January 6th-style event, like, if Taylor Swift called for an attack on the Capitol, she could execute it with more success than Donald Trump did. Yeah. Uh, like, easily. Easily. Like, this if she it. said with full conviction into the camera, like, storm the Capitol, like... Yeah. She could probably 10% do like a Joker of her fans style. Would do it. She could probably do like a Joker Dark Knight style, like you must kill this man within three hours, or I won't release any more music. And so, what if like yeah, like what if this movie has? Here's an idea. What if it's like a character? It's not Taylor Swift. It's a similar character, someone with a similar it? style of fan base, 
who's going a little too far. You know, it's like Taylor Swift, like for a while there, they were like, Taylor Swift, you need to tell your fans not to vote for Trump. And it was like, not sure if she would do it because it would alienate a portion of her base. You know, she comes from country and all of that. And she did it. And it, who knows what it, if it worked or if it helped. It probably did something. But, uh, I mean, Biden won, I guess. But, uh, I mean, he did. Like, I'm not a denier. But um, what if it was sort of like that, but it was like this this pop star is, like, starting to be a little too questioning about, like, something in the government or, like, something like uh, like environmentalism. And they're, like, encouraging their stance to go, uh, like, stop uh oil frigates from getting into ports or something like that something like we're seeing on the news today so it's and like the FBI a catch is literally me if like, you can situation where they're like you were the best at this you were the best yeah you were the og stan you know stan's better than anyone we need to bring you in because this is turning into like a terrorist operation exactly now this premise doesn't work if it's 40 years later because it's like he would be an old man and stuff. But if we set it a few years later, um, <laughs> if we set it firmly, if we set it like three years later, firmly as a like, like that was a hallucination. Or like it was a hallucination. He's been in jail for three years and it <laughs> is fucking like they're putting him in solitary because, you know, he is not the type of prisoner to, to know when to like stop talking, which is like, a, like in prison and, you know, like, you get told to sit down. You better sit down if you stand up. Like it's it can be a big deal, and he doesn't. You know he's not good at taking those cues. He gets end up sent to solitary, d- does time in yeah. there, and as solitary does to people, very sadly in the real world, it 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 changes your mind. It 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 is horribly detrimental to your mind. So like he comes out even weirder than he was before, and yeah, the FBI is like we've got this eighties. What if it's like an 80s metal group or like a, a punk group that started rising to fame? Maybe we take inspiration from, from The Clash, who make a surprise appearance in this film as extras, funny enough. they were one of um, Scorsese's favorite bands. He loved The Clash. Yeah, he saw them. He saw them. He and De Niro saw them at a concert while they were filming. And The Clash were like, we love you guys. And they were like, we're filming tomorrow down the street. You want? They were filming outside of their hotel and they were like, you guys want to come outside and be extras? And they're like, all oh, right, we bloody would love to be in a picture. And they came out and they're like, oh, look at us with the bloody clash. Knowing and, uh, any really like musicians I've ever worked with in a producing capacity, I'll bet they were still somehow like three hours late. And we're like, <laughs> ah, we only got like 15 minutes. <laughs> like, <laughs> we were too busy drinking piss. <laughs> oh, God, I have a point in the morning. London calling. You know, it's a story uh, about it? a detail about the King of Comedy that I thought you would like and would you'd be jealous of is because famously Sam doesn't like being on set. This is a famously. this is a famous Samism. Unless I'm directing, and I, I like being on set, but I think you'd like directing even more if you could. So Scorsese was so addicted to coke at this point that he was really sickly, and following all the movies he did, he basically could only sign on to this if they agreed to only shoot like four hours a day. So they shot this like four hours a day for 20 weeks um, so that he could be sickly. <laughs> and and I was like, those sound like Sammy's kind of hours, you know? Like, <laughs> where you get a lunch in there too. 
Was... Yeah, they, well, the lunch is part of the four hours. Oh right? no, yeah, I can't. Our, you know, our, our lunch, you know, because <laughs> I mean, look, it's gonna take me twenty minutes to drive to Raisin Cane's, get the stuff, do my lines, twenty minutes of being disappointed by no extra chickens this time, like again. You call me. I feel like, like, like add, add another week. <laughs> add another week to the production schedule. I gotta do two hour days. <laughs> Gotta have time um, for raising games twice. Um, maybe I do bully you too much on here. That's you're really mean, and I'm just a little guy. You could be mean to me. I'm not really mean. I've what never I... play the tape. What? Let me. Let's see one clip where I was mean to you. If I was mean to you, you you're editing this episode, so you can just edit in uh, all the times I was mean real quick. Let's see it. Wow, I didn't see any. Huh? That's crazy. Or I was too lazy to so... edit them in. Uh, well, you know, if you were to, that's an easy cover for you to say that when you're making allegations such as me being mean, which I've never been to anyone in my life. I, uh, okay, so what's the, so, okay, there, I like this. There's like a clash type band that's like trying to fight punk rock. Ronald Reagan, like with like guerrilla warfare, kind of. Like they're using their fan. They have like an obsessive fan base. Um, I think and... it's like even at the start of the film, they're not even. It's like they're not even. They haven't done anything. The FBI is just like they could. Like they, they, they yeah, they have an obsessive, crazy huge. It's like a yeah. It's an all. It's an all. Yeah. It's it's in the eighties. Yeah. It's a fan base unlike any other at the time. It's like they have the internet, but they have like, you know, mailing lists and, you know, fan emails and messages and stuff. And like, yeah, they and the band's work is outwardly political. You know, it's like, you know, there were other punk bands at the time doing this. But this one is one that like took off with the rise and is hitting the mains like they're getting radio play. And it's like the government is kind of, you know, and this is still, you know, this is not long after the McCarthy era is still the Cold War. They're like we need to flag this and we're going to nip this in the bud before something happens. So uh, Rupert Pupkin uh, infiltrates it and he, it's kind of like, you know, it's like there's a lot of movies like this most recent example I can think of is Judas and the Black Messiah where the government picks a guy, sends him in to infiltrate a uh, political movement that threatens their hegemony and then we sort of see this push-pull of like, well, is he going to go, Is you know, it's like Jake Sully. Is he going to go Navi or is he going to go? Uh, so he, he like wins. sees a path towards fame with this clash band. That's good. Yeah, he wants maybe, I mean, yeah, that's the thing is what's his goal? Is his goal simply to complete the deal for the FBI so he can be released? That's probably his goal initially. And then he gets in with the band and like, you know, he's like, before before I did time, I never liked punk rock music, but something about it, you know, it really speaks to me now. And it's really resonating with him. And yeah, he's starting to go pretty punk rock. Uh, why would the FBI choose him? Because he was good. What's he actually good at? What, what did he good do at that was well what done? obsessive fans are like. He can, he, he can get in their brains. He knows... He knows the lengths that they might go, the paths that they might take. It's it's like catch me if you can, you know. It's like he's done it. He's he he was the worst of them, so he he knows how they might think. I don't know. I'm defending your yeah, what idea. It, you no no this. no. I know yeah. I know. I'm I'm just think, I'm not. It's yeah. not an attack. It's creative collaboration. We are just friends who work together on everything. 
I don't like. I this. love each other. I don't like this new. Yeah, I feel like you're building a new narrative this episode. That like I'm the bully of. The you're pod. the only one building a narrative. You're the. There was no narrative, and you just started I'm building, building one just a now. King of Comedy Two narrative. It's gonna be. It's I'm gonna. We're gonna be. Okay, nominated here's another idea. Oscar. Yeah. Let's one idea we should discuss. Kingo of comedy. Um, Kingo of comedy. Now, Kingo was, of course, a, the classic character in the much beloved Marvel film, The Eternals, played by Kumail alive. Nanjiani. He was still alive in the uh, 80s, which would be good. He had. Kumail? Yeah, his character. Or Kingo. His, Kingo is alive. Did you see in the Eternals? 80s. I just know, I know enough about the movie. I have not seen Eternals, but I would say <laughs> he. it's a beautiful time to put a Kingo character in because he was both alive but also it was far enough away from his friend having caused the nuclear bombs in japan that like he would be like right that brian tyree fresh. henry yeah it wouldn't right. be as fresh yeah. of a when, mistake and as i understand it, brian tyree henry's character caused hiroshima by being gay yeah uh, if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. uh, which you know we're not touching that that's between chloe zhao and kevin feige uh, but, uh, yeah, Kingo was played by Kamal Nanjiani. It's the role that caused him to take all those steroids and do, you know, make it so he could ever have kids again and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and he, but he got this big Marvel role, uh, for a character that died on the first film. Kingo dies was trending everywhere on Twitter that day when we found out. Awesome day. And ever since me and Max went up, cause you know, people, you know, white people started saying, like, hey, King, hey, look at you, King. And we started calling each other King Go. Say, what up, King Go? Here's my question about the What Eternals. up, King Go? Why did Kamai need to go on the steroid diet and get Kam ripped it's, like that? What's what's it? I think it's just Kamal. Kamal? 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 I, we're, we're probably both butchering. I don't know. We're both butchering it. Why did uh, Kamal? Apologies to Mr. Gianciani. Uh This is not, We don't want to make fun of you for your name. We want to make we fun like of you for We like you. We think you are funny, especially. Yeah. Silicon you are really great. funny in the past. You should get fat again. Uh, anyway, keep going, Max. It's, it all is downhill with Stuber. Um, but why did he have to go on the steroid diet? But Brian Tyree Henry and Barry Keegan like <laughs> just look normal. <laughs> well, Barry Keegan, I think I mean, we've seen Saltburn. Like he's jacked. By the way, as we record the Saltburn two just went live. Saltburn two, the throat ghost. If you haven't listened to it yet, please do. Uh, Saltburn netted zero Oscar noms, but it got a sequel. Pretty good. But the sequel's um, gonna net a lot. Brian Tyree yeah. Henry probably read the script and he was like, "You're gonna put me, you, you know, because he probably just signed." They're like, "Do you want to meet a Marvel movie?" Like, you, we can't tell you what it is, and he's like, "Sure." He mm -hmm. signs the contract, and they're like, "Okay, so in this movie, it's about you cause Hiroshima by being gay," and he was like, "Uh, okay." And they're like, "Also, you have to go on the most grueling workout plan and take these shots that will ruin your organs by the time you're 50." And he was probably like, "No, yeah, I've probably be compromise because he probably called like Don, he like called Donald Glover. He was like, you sure you don't want to do a fifth season of Atlanta? Like, we could probably do these for like a decade.'" And Donald <laughs> Glover was like, "I got something way too good up my sleeve. Have you, do you remember salt. the 2005 classic, Mister and Mrs. Smith?" <laughs> I've got quite the spin on it. What if it was less sexy and not funny? <laughs> <laughs> or like, it was, okay, it was like, good thing there's no more Atlanta. Like, my only, 
my only problem is I got Phoebe Wallace Bridge. There's these funny things from when I was like a teenager, because I didn't really know anything about like things that are actually problematic and stuff like i watched fucking pulp fiction and was not smart enough to realize that quentin tarantino saying the n-word a thousand times is bad even though it's in a movie um i was 13 and dumb even when i was 13 and dumb i listened to camp by donald glover his first rap album and was like pretty taken aback that i was like you can like say this about asian women you can just like People are well. Mad. A lot of rappers. I mean, like in One Train, which was like a radio single from that ASAP Rocky album. Like, uh, Action Bronson, who's white, is doing that. Or I don't like a bunch of rappers were doing it at the time. It wasn't that he was a rapper. I mean, it's like not to say that it's like politically correct or anything. It wasn't unprecedented. I think it was just the thing of like. I mean, the other rappers that were doing it weren't going on Twitter at the time and posting threads laying out all their insecurities and why they're wrong and like replying to everyone who said you're not a real rapper because you're on 30 rock in community uh and him being like actually i am and here's why i'm tough and it's like dude like talking about your parents divorce on twitter doesn't make you sound tougher um but uh yeah they also weren't getting really like, the like two out of ten reviews on pitchfork that he was getting r.i.p pitchfork um yeah, R.I.P. Pitchfork, what a loss. That was a big oh, part of a our really culture good at the time. But yeah, to get back to biz- the business at hand, Donald Glover's rap career is... The business, we gotta get the, the script the audience that doesn't know, we actually just stopped talking about <laughs> Donald Glover rap to go take a break, and we both decided to get a beer. So it's... It's, uh, it's funny to... Uh, no, I do want to say... I'm a huge fan <laughs> of Donald Glover. In fact, I think his music is overhated, and I think that that album that he just did with the white cover was actually pretty good. But yeah, that dropped during the pandemic. When did he do that? When did he come up with a new album? I mean, it's newish. Um, oh, I think Atlanta's that, great. that new album from four years ago. I just don't want ago, people sorry. to think I'm a Donald Glover hater. I think he's great. We love Donald Glover. We're all excited for Lando. Um to see what how he falls in love with his daughter or whatever is the plot <laughs> i still love that for people that don't know sam's joke the actor that played lando delivers a line in the last in the rise of skywalker that deeply insinuates that he wants to sleep with his daughter <laughs> so uh he's a ladies man he doesn't he doesn't know how to talk true. to he women just, he's he just doesn't know too how much to not be flirtatious so some Luper of us can relate. We're Pupkin just too suave. is the lead of the King of Comedy. He would Two. want to still be famous when he gets out of jail, but it turned out it was all hallucination, but he gets out of jail because the FBI is... I think this makes sense. They'd be like, we need to understand stand culture. So they get like him and Masha back together. The dream team's back together. They're consultants. They're consultants. Oh, that's good. Yeah, they're brought in as consultants. They're, like, high profile. They know they can own him and control him. Mm-hmm. And they're like, explain to us how this works. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, he's like, no, I won't do it. And then he's like, okay, here's how it would work. And um, then at some point, it becomes clear that he actually, it's not. he's not just going to be a consultant, because they're like, 
actually you're the man for the job. Maybe they have a man on the inside who like they train. Maybe this clash and that band, man on the inside gets caught. Or yeah, or in in addition, I like that. And in addition, like this clash band would probably think him taking a media figure hostage to go on his show himself is punk rock. They probably think he's yeah. probably in like underground spaces. The guy that did, because I do believe I, he actually did that. Yeah, I do believe he took yeah. Jerry hostage. That would be viewed as the most punk rock cool thing you could do. Like if someone did that to Jimmy Fallon nowadays, you're telling me Twitter wouldn't be like, this guy rules. They would. They'd be mad that he didn't actually hurt him, but yeah, they would be happy. (laughs) I mean, dude, imagine the hits you could get if you did James Corden. Like his wife would be happy. Yeah. Every, um, sorry, no, we're not supposed to be making threats. Or... I'm not too worried about <laughs> damaging my my relationship with James Corden. That's... Yeah, I'm not worried about damaging James Corden's relationship <laughs> in Hollywood. I think it's over for that guy. Um, so it's interesting. So, so as we're looking at our list of things we have to solve, an interesting one is the antagonist. I think it's an interesting way to kind of break down how the past movie works to try to figure out with something like this, the who was the antagonist? The King of Comedy would be a classic example of less like nerdy screenwriter types might look at that and say, well, that's a movie without an antagonist because it doesn't really have a mustache twirling villain. But Jerry is the villain of the movie. He's or not the villain. He's the antagonist of the movie because the antagonist is which personified character and like is standing in the way of the thing our protagonist wants most. If he wants to be on TV more than anything and be famous, Jerry is the person most standing in the way of that with that blonde producer woman being like a secondary villain, um, essentially. Um, So for this, it's like, is this clash lead singer, our antagonist? Like who's like, what I think it's, you have to figure out what does Rupert really want? If he still wants to be famous, in this scenario, is the FBI the antagonist? Are they staying in the way? Maybe the Clash sing, maybe to like try to do this a new way to change the machinations of the writing, we could make the celebrity more of an ally figure. Here's what I've got. Um, so one, the FBI is an antagonist. They are like, you need to get in. You do this job. If you do this job right, you're out of prison, mm-hmm. uh, and we will take care of you. You'll be okay. If you are under no circumstances allowed to go back on TV, that would be like if you do that, we lose our job. You know, the president will be calling us. Like that's that's a fuck up. You can't go back on TV. Now he gets he embeds himself with this band, and this band is this like little street street band that is like. Un, been unlikely catap- uh, catapulted into the mainstream. They are there are there are rifts within the group of how to deal with that fame. And there's the front man who's like the star, you know, the Joe Strummer type who's like everybody loves him. He's loving being famous. But then there's like the the John Lennon or the McCartney of the group or whatever, or the John Lennon of the group, or whatever, who's like you know the co the the co head the co creative on it who is like. This is getting to be too much. This is like he's he's disillusioned with it and there's starting to be creative rifts. And so like the main guy, he loves uh Rupert Pumpkin. He's like, This guy's great. We should put him on the cover of our next album. And the other guy's like, he's a bit of a prick, isn't he? 
I don't know about this, but where'd he bloody come from? And Rupert Pupkin is sort of having to duel both of them within this group. Yeah, so we've got like... as this... Yeah, keep going, keep yeah. going. And so as this develops, uh, Rupert then has to deal with like... He like, one, wants to go free, but he also like, is when greeted with the chance to possibly become famous, he really wants... Like, that is a thing. And that is the thing that he's going to have to resist. Because if he... Yes, we'll have to keep trying to push away offers to center him uh as being a star and that is going to eventually he's going to take it he's going to go on stage or something and be on tv fbi is after him uh the the bassist or we'll call him the bassist the guy who does not fuck with him is like onto his case and is figuring out what's going on and uh i mean maybe it all I don't know. Yeah, where do we go with that? That, but that's what I'm seeing is like sort of dueling. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, two things. One, in a like more screenwritery way, there's this like kind of character dynamic that I think is really useful for aspiring screenwriters to think about. I think about like this all the time, which is that one of the more interesting character types is an ally turned antagonist and an antagonist turned ally. These are both frequent character types that you'll find especially in genre films so it would be interesting to have the lead singer the one that loves the fame as an ally antagonist where we start it where when he enters the fold the singer feels like the guy feels like the one that wants him there the most the bassist could be an antagonist ally where the bassist is against it because he's he didn't get into music for this shit man he's the He's he's the real anti-capitalist. He's he he was he just did it for the art. But actually, so in a lot of ways, so is Rupert. His art is just fucking bad comedy. And this was to in a less screenwritery way, just in a like in a less screenwriting like rules way, and a just an idea I have that's more practical. I feel like in the eighties with Rupert Pupkin, especially with a band like this and the audience they'd be cultivating. In a lot of ways, he could be one of the earlier examples of like alt comedy, of like cringe, strange, different type of comedy starting to hit a wider audience. I could see like a, a punk band's audience loving him as like an opener where it's like, oh, it's so bad, it's good. Um, and so maybe that's how he starts to like, maybe he starts to become their opener because the audience fucking eats it up. Like, when he tells like some boring, not interesting joke, it's they're into it. They're like, "Oh, that's yeah, the um, yeah." And so... and that could be a good scene. Is like he goes to the FBI. He's like, "They want me to go on stage, and I think this is really important for the mission that I perform before some of their shows." And they're like, "Absolutely not." And he's like, "But I won't be on TV. It won't be broadcast. It doesn't go against our initial rule." And he has to sort of persuade them. And the FBI agent he's working with is like, "Okay." fine but here's the deal you slip up it's over and then he's like of course i won't slip up he's gonna slip up yeah so maybe he like goes on or like he's sworn like you will not do this but then like the way things fall he ends up on stage and like they call him out and it goes over amazingly and then the fbi's like we're pulling you and that's how they like act like an antagonistic force i feel like love an easier idea designing where this all needs to go if we 
can start to figure out what the climax of this could be. Um, Because once again, we love our agent, Jimmy Telgado, and these seven rules of screenwriting, because for anyone else out there that writes screenplays, trying to figure out these like seven core things doesn't always happen in the same order, but they are, once you have these seven, you're kind of ready to write, is our way of thinking. So like with this one, I feel like our next step could be beginning, middle, and end. Like what's what's the right climax for something like this, you know? Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, what is the climax? I mean, what's the King of Comedy's climax? King of Comedy's climax or like, I think the more useful way to think about it would be like, what's his end goal is to get on TV. It's it was kidnapping Jerry and getting on his show and being able to show it to his sweetheart. But the like fundamental part of that is getting on TV was the goal. So he's already done that. Like what's next? He want, I mean, maybe, well, this is just a grenade to throw. This isn't even a good idea, but like, what if he did, he was getting fan mail like in prison mm-hmm. like, he and that is what he clung to because like we don't he doesn't seem to have, i mean he certainly doesn't have like a wife and kids or anything uh he's got his parents but it, he seems like a pretty lonely person so like his only connection while he's in prison for those three years or whatever is uh this fan mail that's coming in from from crazies who think he really stuck it to the man mm-hmm. and uh he wants he wants that now more than it's not even about it's not even about the the art anymore maybe it's about he wants the love and adoration he like he's been alone so long all he wants is all like he he's like greedy for love and like he like wants like in king of comedy when masha like duct tapes jerry lewis and like tries to like fuck him and stuff like he wants that like he thinks that would be the best thing ever um, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know where I'm going with this, though. I mean, maybe um, with that in line with that, maybe he signs on with the FBI because they're like, this group's going to cause some sort of terrorist attack at New York City or something. And if the girl that was writing him the letters is there, he's like, I have to protect her. I have to help. Like, I'm doing my due service. This is like, this is how I help the one I love, whoever was writing him the letter. Now, here's an interesting twist. What if it's Masha writing him letters? Because, see, if he appeared on TV like that and the audience was laughing, maybe the same part of herself that fell in love with Jerry and was obsessive about him, with Rupert some- suddenly gone and her having not gone to jail, maybe she's... Yeah, maybe, maybe this is how we bring Masha back and we give her Irishman CGI as well. Speaking of the Irishman CGI, I'm a little concerned because I don't know if you've seen the Irishman, but there's a scene where De Niro needs to be intimidating and he uh, needs to curb stop somebody. And though the technology can make him look young, it was not very good at making people uh, act young. And uh, it's uh, it's pretty clear that it's an 80-year-old man stuck trying to do a curb stop. So we got to make sure when we're writing at all times, these are things that an 80 year old could do, you know? So yeah, I mean, I talked to my contact at Netflix and he he very clearly laid out. He said no curb stomping. Uh So I think as long as we don't write that, it should be fine. Marty ignored that. Now, 
I do think we should have a chase on top of a train and uh, a lot of scenes where he runs. Uh, and, um, and where he rides a horse through a yeah. packed Times Square. That's going to look really good. That's going to look really good. That's, um, that sounds like his destiny. That sounds like we got to dial Yeah, let's turn up destiny. the dial <laughs> on these jokes. They're really good. Um, <laughs> Wait, we got to pause. Just like the Saltburn episode, we got to let the audience stop laughing. The 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 get your breath. You're driving. I know you're on your way to work right now. Do not get into a car accident. Eyes on the road. If you're wondering why we keep thinking of the FBI in this pitch, it's because of how many calls we've gotten about the car crashes that our great jokes keep causing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. What's that? What's uh? Triple A. They keep calling us. They're like our tire prices for all the the tires we got to replace because people drive off the road and it breaks their tires we keep having to replace them because they're listening to your, Sam, your show you're doing it again this is another great joke that's gonna cause so many car accidents you know what I, i'm done i like speaking of conversations of you know art and fame and artist responsibility uh for their fan base i i'm done you know what you crash your car you laughed at my jokes not my problem. Mm, oh, someone's get someone's a bad boy now. The bad yeah. What if well, we become um, the bad boys of podcasting? What if we become the villains of podcasting? Yeah, we could be like the the big picture blank check. They got nothing on us. They got nothing. The Doughboys with their David Fincher months. How about the podcast too? We want this time. American Life. Caller Daddy, Joe Rogan, suck my dick, fuck you. We're yeah. the podcast too, and we're here to shake things up in the podcast world. All these people tune into this episode. They never heard of us, and they were like, King of Comedy 2. Now, that's a film I've been waiting for a sequel for for mm-hmm. 40 years. Mm-hmm. Let's see what these boys got. They come on here, and I'm just going to tell them, if you're listening right now, you either listen to the show, suck my dick. Leave that out. Um, that's... I don't feel like I feel, I do feel like there's a pretty straight line between the fact that there's not a lot of sequels to movies that are free on YouTube right now. <laughs> I feel like usually yes. if a sequel is made, <laughs> it isn't on YouTube for free. <laughs> what are you talking about? But I feel like that's uh, a pretty standard rule. Like even if they did like Joe they did, Dirt, they too. did that. Uh, they did that sequel to Birth of a Nation yeah. with Will Smith. That uh. It didn't make a lot of traction. That was more because of the behind-the-scenes drama, but that, that could have been a big a sequel. sequel. I think that was... They, Wasn't they, it? They took the title. They, like, made up... A... Pretty sure it was a sequel. I don't think it was a sequel, but... What? We got the two sequel experts here, so it's a bit of a 50-50 toss-up right now. Okay, we should keep working on this. What's the climax? What's the climax of this story? Let's uh chase scene a heist break in could we should they go to hell and meet the devil himself no no hell uh, no portals to hell no marines oh i was gonna say marines um no Aaron Eckhart drunkenly flying there, a plane um, could there be a visit from the throat ghost I mean, I always want a visit from the throat ghost. It's uh, in real life. Yeah, it's 
I was just talking to my mom who listened to the Saltburn 2 episode a little bit. She was like, you guys are so hard on it. That Jacob Elordi boy was so cute. And I was like, yeah, I don't think, did we say he's not cute? And she's like, but the movie's good. He's so cute. And I was like, <laughs> boy, I, I, I forget what, I just don't think about movies the right way. I'm never going to be as successful as I want to be because I think of them in a nerdy, stupid way. And it should just... Maybe our climax is just Jacob Elordi shows up and he's really cute. <laughs> You're like, wow, what a great movie. Um, no, what's... You boys are... What is he boys are a dime a dozen, just ask Brian Singer. Um, He wants to... Oh, that's what I was going to tell you. I was talking to my mom. She was on the phone with a friend yeah. who I knew. And I was like, oh, tell her I said hi. And she said, tell him I love Cancel Cove and I would watch that. So I thought you would like that because going back to our was it Roar episode that was Roar you pitched yeah, yeah. our TV show our TV show idea Cancel Cove you can't uh, claim this as well as my ex girlfriend who's also claiming well, rights I, to that I can because I'm your current girlfriend you're uh, a lot basically I think we're close I think Charles Wallace would feel comfortable with that designation. For, for those Charles that don't know, my partner has to, my my partner has to deal. No, I'm saying that's why I'm saying they would be comfortable signing off with you being my current girlfriend. I my partner has to deal with how frequently I'll be like in the same bed as Charles, and I'll get a FaceTime call from Sam, and we'll take it, and me and Sam will be talking for like 30 minutes without me having informed Sam that Kay is next to me, and that like. But, you know, it's girlfriend time. But I always yeah. know because they always laugh at my jokes. I always hear a, hear a beautiful yeah, laughter. Yeah. Char Kay, Charles is a big fan of you, and it's the bane of my existence. Um, well, most but, people are. It must be hard to see someone get what you want. But that's kind of like Rupert Pupkin's thing because he wants to be loved, and he's not getting it. So in this sequel that we are writing... So uh, he wants is, to win the heart of his... Of his admirer. Of Megan the Stallion or something. So he's going to eventually um, bring the person on stage. It's going to be Masha. Maybe I mean, that's... It's got to be an escalation. It's got to be something big. Can, can like, Megan it's not Stallion? enough for me to go on... No, so no I mean, like, can escalation? he... No, no, I don't mean that. I mean, like, could it be a... Could he blow something up? Like, can does he get involved in the actual terror? Like, what if, like, at a certain point... Okay, keep going, keep going. What if at a certain point? You're right. We Well, what if at a certain point he goes rogue? Like the FBI is like, we're cutting this program. You're coming back. And he turns to the clash or whatever we're calling this band. The, he turns to the fucks and he's like, bleep that. And he's like, uh, you got to help me. Like they're coming for me. And they're like, we've got you, Rupert Popkin. And they're the only ones who say his name right. And uh, they take him and... Uh, they go under genius screenwriting go... thing to give him that name. That's such a good name. Well, it's Sorry. funny because the it's such a trope, right? Like now, like, and I see that, and I don't know. I can't. I'm sure but it was the first. Pumpkin's so film. perfect because you want to say pumpkin <laughs> so bad. Like the level well, you, you want to say pumpkin. Yeah, but you're you've got that thing that's not unique to you by any means. I mean, we have friends, close friends who do it. And there's people over the world, but like. You do that thing where, like, it's almost like dyslexia for names. Like, there's certain names. Like, uh, uh, um, our friend Anna, her dog Suki, 
you met this dog and everyone was like, this dog's name is Suki. And you're like, got it, Zuki. And then you kept calling it Zuki. And then one time I pulled you, I was like, Max, the dog's name is Suki with an S. You're like, oh, it's Suki? Got it. And then it was still Zuki. Um, but I think that's very common. You mean like, like last about- week's episode when you said Barry Keoghan a hundred <laughs> yeah. times across the episode? Yeah. Barry Keoghan! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he... I did, okay, well, this is an interesting conversation about sequels. Is I feel the thing I'm constantly trying to avoid on this show is the lazy screenwriting trope with sequels of like, we'll just do the thing they did in the last movie bigger. So, like, bad idea. What's the bad version of this? Is like, he's gonna perform to a crowd of millions, it's gonna be a big telecast at a Coachella type event but like that's not actually no that's easy what makes us no but like interesting yeah I mean it could be a reversal it could be that they're like all right like you have to perform and he's like what if the class what if he's like on the run from the FBI but Uh he has no proof and like he's fleeing and the clash band is like sure Rupert we'll take care of you and then at a certain point like because there's discord within the group that's like some like him and some don't they're like what's he talking about this guy's crazy and they're like they've got a show scheduled for him that's gonna be his big show and he's like you can't put me up there i'll get shot and they're like you have to root but the crowd loves you and he's like backstage like begging like don't let me go don't let me go and then they like and like he hears like people cheering for him he sees like the girls who are like thirsting after him and he's like no 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 and they like shove him out there and he stumbles out and for a second he's like trying to get back and then he stops when he's on stage and he hears the cheering and he looks around and then he can't help himself and he gets up there and he does an awful set that kills and then he gets fucking shot in the head like fucking laser sight oh you could stretch that out too there's like a laser sight and he's like doing different like physical he's like starts going full like jim carrey comedy on the stage to dodge the laser sight i'm he's unsure like, about the getting shot i'm unsure <laughs> i would i was about to be like wow sam that fuck you killed it but then the the getting shot I, but actually in a weird way i'm not 100 percent against it yet um what, okay only... what if it's not that he just he doesn't immediately start they don't immediately start to get shot he just gets out there and he sees like an agent that he recognizes like a goon i feel like an ending a taxi driver type ending where he like dies in pursuit of it, that's i want to table that that's interesting but in in terms of this i the additions to what you were pitching that i think could make it even more dynamic are like if the fbi he's on the run from the fbi but this clash type band he, he couldn't have told them that he was teamed up with the fbi because they would have never let him into the fold so he's with them now and they're like we want to put you on stage and he, and suddenly for the first time in his life he can't go on stage but he can't tell them why because of he hasn't told them that he was teamed up with the fbi but now if he's on the run from the fbi um so he goes up on stage and maybe th- this feels like a um this feels like maybe a like pinch point two in the second act um for in terms of screenwriting stuff um there's these things called pinch points they happen at halfway through 
the first half of the second act. They're basically the 25% points of the second act. The second act is the core drama of the movie. It makes up 50% of the movie. If you make a 90-minute movie, it generally happens from minute 30 to minute 60. No, to minute... Um, you make a two-hour movie, sorry. It generally happens from minute 30 to the hour and a half mark um, with a half hour on either end for the first act and the third act. Um, so these would be like... And the midpoint is the middle of the second act. So these would be like kind of the midpoints of the two halves of the second act. If you're watching on YouTube, Sam's drawing a very useful diagram. I feel like this would be pinch point two, which is halfway through the second half of the second act. I'm sorry if that doesn't make sense. Sam's diagram on YouTube should make it clearer. Or you can Google pinch point two and you'll see a diagram. Sid Field paradigm. Guess what it's called? The Sid Field paradigm in screenwriting. I I feel like an event like this could allow for a climax where maybe he's racing to try to get to his love, to the person that was writing him those letters, you know, where he realizes that, like, maybe he starts to team up with the bassist and he needs to get away from this. Having said all of this, Sam, I'm starting to realize in terms of the seven things we need to solve, does the, we're starting to craft a theme that I don't know if it's a theme that we agree with on a moral level. I don't know if it matches our politics that we're essentially saying this punk band that wants to convince its members to try to create anarchy, to try to upend capitalism and upend the system. We're positing that that's bad. What are we saying with this? Is it, Sometimes you'll realize when you're writing that you're not actually saying something you agree with because it was easier. Well, this is a interesting this is a this is a big conversation. This is a um tough conversation especially if you're not really in this and have gotten your hands dirty with it and made mistakes in filmmaking, but um theme of a well no, I mean it's just you it's it's like when you it's like love and respect to your mom, but when your mom says Saltburn was good because Jacob Elordi's cute, it's like okay, but like if you don't, if you're not in this, if you don't like get your hands dirty with it, it's hard, it can be hard to understand just how messy filmmaking is. Um, but just because you depict something in a film doesn't mean you condone it, and just because you have a film, a theme, a theme is different from a message. If a film. Some would say that if a film has a clean message that, like, the film ends and it's basically like, this is what you should do, that's garbage. That's basically propaganda, uh, you could say. Um, and I'm not saying that's true or not. I'm saying some have argued that. Now, what are you saying the theme we're painting is here? What are you saying the message you're taking away from what we've got so far as here? I'm not even I, saying – I don't even know what we're painting yet because we're still figuring this out. I think it's – well, this opens up an interesting conversation to me, though, where I agree with you, except that, like, there's a difference between people watching The Wolf of Wall Street and saying, well, if Scorsese shows people doing these horrible acts, therefore he's condoning it. But it's like, if the movie shows, if the antagonist of the movie is a is essentially an anarchist is someone that's saying upend systems upend capitalism and by the end of the movie it's proven that is correct the climax of this movie needs to be stopping them 
I agree with film Twitter that it's a bit McCarthyist to which is like the 1950s politician that was trying to censor you Hollywood movies. You don't have movies. to explain. Yeah. You don't have to explain the fucking Mar- McCarthyism. We- okay. God, I hope I hope our viewers have gone to high school. If you're I get that it's McCarthyist to be like don't show thing when people are like don't show things in movies that you disagree with. But I disagree with a lot of film bro, film Twitter types that think that if you have your hero characters of films endorsing certain things without any clarity in the narrative that you're against these things that, or that you're supposed to laugh at the character for doing what they're doing. I mean, talking about the curse, the reality TV set show starring Nathan Fielder and Betty Safdie and Emma Stone. um, There's no question in terms of the filmmaking and the reaction shots they choose and the way they choose to present the information that the whole time it's like the joke is on these characters. They are ludicrous for wanting these things. It shows them doing bad things, but it's very clear what the filmmaking team behind that show believes. I think um, film Twitter types sometimes want an easy pass and want to be like, They want to have their cake and eat it too, where sometimes they want to be like, oh, this person's endorsing cool things um, politically or like be extremely hard on something cool, like how to blow up a pipeline and be like, it didn't go far enough. But then at the same time, be like, no, like this movie's actually like this movie, this Paul Schrader thing where people do absolutely fucked up evil shit and it's never, it's treated as like heroic oh, that's fine. It's cool. It's badass. You know, like, oh, you're being so fucking annoying. You know, I'm not saying well, you're part well, of that. I'm, but like, no, it's no, an no, interesting no, no, conversation. No, but, well, Paul Schrader's an interesting example because what I would think would be most relevant to this discussion would be Taxi Driver, which, you know, is a very similar film, uh, both in its cast, director, and the character and the themes. It's like, you know, people have this is a very similar movie. It's almost like De Niro doing like the opposite of Taxi Driver in terms of his characterization. But um, what would you say to that? Because Taxi Driver is a film about a guy who's a total like sleazebag doing a lot of dumb stuff. And it's very creative. And uh, it, it's not a very opinionated film, I'd say, in that it kind of just shows you this guy. And I wouldn't say the film, the film certainly does things where you're like, oh yeah, that. Like the film certainly does has moments where it's clearly being like, yeah, it was kind of weird what he did, or that wasn't normal or cool, or we don't condone that. But like by the end of the film, he's a hero for, I mean, he is a hero and he does all this stuff. And like, yeah, it's like, yeah, well, he shot up these like pimps, these arguably traffickers or whatever. But it's like, it's kind of in a bad way. I mean, it's, it's, comp- I think that what is great about art and this ties into the uh, Ava DuVernay uh, comments that were circulating this week as we record this, where she's talking about like sacrificing aesthetics and stuff for her message, which, you know, those, there's a lot of politics going on in that post and that quote name taking out of context and bad faith, but it's an interesting conversation where I, well, one, I'm confused confused because okay there's a lot i want to there's a lot to unpack here that we're not going to be able to do fully obviously because this is a conversation that's raged since the creation of art but um i would say that to say that oh if you have a protagonist or a hero do something that's bad and doing all this stuff and the film never does something that like nudges you and says like no this is bad this is good 
I think that's preposterous. I think that I don't is think it's so ser- reductive. I oh, I agree with you, though. I don't think that, like, it's a film's job to say that's bad or that's good. In fact, I think art is worse when it does that. I think, though, at the end of the day, all art, or at least all forms of storytelling, have an inherent theme, which is, like, inherently, like, what do I walk away thinking about life from this? Thinking um, about, but not necessarily being told this is how it is. So I don't think there's a I right or a wrong. It's just like I, with what we're talking about with this script right now, I, we would, you would think we are writers that do not believe in any form of like anarchy could help America. You would. That's say, another conversation. Uh, again, if we're trying to be, uh, yeah, it's, tactful it's, in the Hollywood game here, we should probably be a little quiet about anarchy. Um, not that I think either of us are well read enough on. No, I mean anarchism. I flip up anyway. Um, well, I'm look. Are you saying what are you saying is happening in the story? Because we need to make sure we're on the same page here. That is questionable. That our hero, who is Rupert Pupkin, is going get is fighting against. Well, do um, we think that? I guess that's the question is like if there was a clash type band who was starting to use its followers to Mike, what I thought I guess was that they were using it to create forms of anarchy. Like what, what uh, it's a good plot question. What was the thing that they, that their followers were encouraged to do that the F that suddenly put them on the FBI list. Maybe they did something smaller. Like maybe they did some sort of wall street sit in. Maybe they did like, an Occupy Wall Street thing, but it was in the 80s, and it was, you know, it hadn't been done before. Um, so what I'm FBI saying is, like, whoa, is, whoa, whoa. So if they they were having Occupy-type sit-ins, let's say that's it. Cool. So Rupert goes and joins them, and then by the climax of the movie, he's realized, oh, my God, all the power's gone to their heads. We need to cut this at the knees. Like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Because at the end of the day if it's a movie where a character gets involved with a fringe group, it's going to go one of two ways. They're going to realize by the end that they were fighting the good fight or that they were fighting the bad fight. Well, here's the thing is that I think what most movies that deal with this, and I think the, the simplest example, the fastest one I could reach right now is like seven Marvel movies. Like Black Panther, for example, has this thing where Michael B. Jordan's character is like, comes out and raises all of these like very valid political questions about not just the fictional nation of Wakanda, but also of like the way the Western world, specifically America treats black people. And he comes out and he says all this stuff and the audience is all like, Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Yep. That's right. And the character's like, Oh, that's true. That's true. And then he's like, so I'm going to kill a bunch of innocent people to accomplish those goals. And then black Panther has to be like, no, don't do that. And then in the end is like, we're going to, have a meeting at the United Nations and it's like and like so many of these movies introduce a character that's like you know far left radical and like the movie's like yeah this is right you know it's like clearly the screenwriter saying stuff they agree with and then it's like but they took it too far by using direct action um and then you know they comp they blow up direct action to be like oh and he's gonna kill a bunch of innocent people um so I'd say usually what the movies end up saying is like nothing, which is milk toast and bland. I don't think 
for the purpose of wrapping this up before Jimmy Telgado gets here, I don't think that we're necessarily having... I don't think that Rupert is ever getting actually politically... In, I don't think he gives a shit about the politics here. I think that he is simply... All he wants at his core is to be popular and to be loved. And he got embedded into this group and he maybe resonated with certain things there. And he's like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. But he is just really yeah. doing whatever is going to get him famous so until the, the point theme. comes. Yeah. Right. So that's the theme that we're saying is like people get people like Rupert, which I think is true to nowadays, will become involved with whatever political group they need to to get the most attention. I feel like that's the thing with like when you find out that Tucker Carlson was on CNN not that long ago. It's like he found more political capital. He was on NBC. Oh, that's what it was. He was on NBC not that long ago. But then the he realized he could get way more attention on Fox News. And that was the capital he cared about. I do have bad news. Jimmy Telgado has just arrived. Um... We have not on the Zoom. Um, well, he's coming into the room, um, into our Zoom, Zoom room, room. Um, mm -hmm. as one does. We have uh, twenty. Oh, I feel like we well, can. I feel like we can pitch this. We riff it. Yeah, let's uh, riff just do it. Tap me in. We'll riff it. Um, we'll, we got some good scenes. We got some premises. We get lubed up. We get nice. Yeah. And loose. Well, lo you know, we loosened might have... up. Loosened up. Not, you got to stop saying that. Uh, Still lubed. Well. Chapek you know, did not like it when you said it back in the day, back in the early days of the well, podcast. Look what happened too. to him. He could have, he slipped and slide out of that position. You know, he, he got, he, he, he a little too lubed up. There's such a thing he as probably, too lubed. He probably should have lubed up his, his, Jimmy. his oil in his. Hey, Jimmy, it's good to me. see you. Hey, uh, boys, boys, boys. That was my favorite podcast, too. But, hey, Jimmy. The podcast, too. Um, good to see you, Jimmy. Broadcast too. Good to see you both, boys. And uh, I hope you Jimmy, got a good sequel for me. I totally relate. I had this thing with Sam's friend's dog where I accidentally kept calling it the wrong name all the time. We're not the broadcast too. I want. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get. Two. Listen, time is money, and I ain't got neither. So let's get going with this pitch. I hear. Killers of the Flower Moon was a big movie this year, and uh, I think that movie. we can get this guy, Marty Scorsese. He, I think we can get hard him. Hard guy to get. I think we can get him. All right, he was a he made one direct to streaming movie last year that no one fucking watched. Went to theaters for I think three months. Yeah, three months in what? What in L New York and LA? No one. You got about as many theaters as I saw the TV glow. Nationwide, I think it'll be okay. Nationwide uh, release. Um, no, Jimmy, I, I appreciate your insight. Um, I'm glad you're our agent now, <laughs> Jimmy. Um, I love you, Jimmy. I love you, you too, boy. All boys? right, like both of us, or yeah, boy. Me or Sam. To me, you're both boy. Okay, well, um, we've got an exciting um, project for you here. We were so excited to hear. It was a little surprising to hear of all of the Scorsese projects that you've decided King of Comedy is the best one to pitch a sequel to. I mean, the, the original is just on YouTube right now for free. Here's the thing. That's why it's the easiest one to get the rights to. 
Uh, no one liked it when it came out, made no money. All these other, look, Marty, as I've read on Wikipedia, doesn't really do sequels. Uh, right? Uh, they tried to get onto a sequel to Last Temptation of Christ, he wouldn't do it, so did now the they're doing a money. sequel to Melt. What's that? He, he did the first legacy sequel ever, The Color of Money. What's that? It's a sequel. It, well, it came out kind of during your time. I feel like you'd know this. It, it was the sequel to The what Player. What do you mean my time? How, hey, hey, how old do you think I am? 80? 56. Well, boys, you don't need to worry about my age. You don't need to worry about nothing. All I'm thinking is the king of comedy is the one to do. Pretty soon, I'm going to take this pitch. I'm going to go get the rights. Wait, you didn't get the rights yet? Usually Wait, so we... you have, are you, have you called Martin Scorsese yet? It's called a spec script. I don't know if you've heard of what this is about, but a lot of people are trying it nowadays. Be... That's not true. We it, talked about it too. Less. It's actually kind of like there's the l- worst time to do spec scripts yeah, in the history of the industry. So a spec script is basically no, we already explained it to the script. audience. We, I okay. You know what? I clearly you both have short fuses today. Give me like pretty the calm. gosh darn pitch. Notice how I didn't swear. Your boys told me that. Give me the gosh darn pitch to this friggin' movie. Okay, Jimmy. Um, Max, what's K Comedy Two? What do you got? I'm so excited. No, Jimmy, I'm gonna pick before you go. I'm so excited to take this to my friends at 20th Century Fox. I love those guys. I have a deep, long-running relationship with them. That's why I liked this project for you boys. You didn't tell them we are involved or anything, did you? At Fox, they don't have any issues with you. You never pitched the Fox. For some reason, you've been doing this for a whole year, and you're never pitching the Fox? They're one of the big five. Uh, Jimmy, we, we, well, Fox, we, we pitched to Bob Iger, uh... At, at Disney, He's which, at which Disney. you know owns the yeah, they own Fox. It was like they bought it like five years, like half a decade ago now. It was like really? Before the pan, yeah, it was like before the pandemic. They can't. That would be billions of dollars, and would probably cause a massive problem in their budgets. That would cause all of their movies and theme parks to be underfunded for years to come, and would cause a lot of structural issues in the company. Well, they needed to get the X Men Fantastic specific. Four. Specific criticisms, Jimmy, um, that probably could have been heard in a boardroom at some point. But um, what do they call it now? Do they call it Disney Fox? I th- I think they call it 20th Century Studios, but it depends on the title. Wait, 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 wait. Does that mean they put Fox movies on Disney Plus? Isn't that a family-friendly streamer? Yeah, it's well, okay. It depends on the region you're in. So if you're in Europe, Disney Plus has everything. But if you're here, they put the mature stuff on Hulu. Because I guess you don't have Hulu in Europe, Max. Is that correct? Listen, boys, I don't care about the streaming politics. I don't care about whoosie, botsy, whatsy. Look, in my time, I've seen a lot of big mergers and acquisitions. Heck, I remember when Six Flags acquired uh, King's Dominion or whatever. King's Domino's Pizza, whatever it's called. Listen, give me the pitch. So we can make a great ride out of it. 
Jimmy, that's funny that you just thought of the term mergers and acquisitions. It's it's almost like you also watched American Psycho today, and that's the only uh, business term <laughs> that's on your mind. I'm Jimmy Telgado. I'm a real guy, and I know all about things. Where's the goddamn pitch? I'm a very busy man. I've got another Zoom call after this with my chiropractor. You do the telehealth chiropractor. That's interesting. Um... King of Comedy 2. Yeah, what's the title? What's babies. the title? Uh, Max, King of Comedy okay, 2. Bear we, with me we agreed here, on a title. I'm we thinking know the title. The King of Comedy 2. Number 2. Yeah, we agreed on that. That sounds great, boys. I think I can take that to Bob. Good work. I'm so proud of you. I just you love everything you're doing. I, we, we're it's a we're gonna bring back industry. the Irishman, the Irishman technology. In, I'm sorry, I gotta go help my boy, Mr. Beast. He's my other client. He's just locked a what? deal with Amazon. What? You have us and Mr. Beast? I oh, gave him you, the what? idea for Mr. Beast Burger. I said, what if you took a restaurant and you made it really bad? And now I work in the kitchen, and there's a lot of. Oh, so your other client, like you work? I work in his kitchen. Boys, I'm gonna be late to my shift as Mr. Beast's agent in his kitchen. I gotta go. I love this idea. I'm gonna take it straight to the top. I I bet, Jimmy. All right, have okay, a good bye, Jimmy. day. Bye. Okay, he hung up. So the whole pitch was. It's like a it's a pitch for a spec. Like we could we should just start writing. Well, we shouldn't because this is a terrible idea. I mean, I, mean, just I thought so we the audience some good knows. ideas. Yeah, we had some good stuff. You know, I think the stuff with the clash being a yeah, like a political. I mean, we, I don't we spent know a buy lot it. of time. We probably we, we should. I don't really we know a lot about the it. Clash, honestly. That was yeah. sort of my parents' band. That's like yeah. an old people band. I I'm feel more like we of like just a Wednesday use any excuse guy. we can to use harsh Cockney accents. But no, we don't. We've <laughs> never done that. Uh. I didn't know Christopher yeah. Nolan was here. Jeez, this Zoom room, anyone can break in. It's me, Christopher Nolan. Okay, I Chris, just I the Oscar nomination. I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, good boy. Wow, that was crazy. That's that was, a good thing I'm, he I'm did glad. that. That's I can't so wait weird. to have to Google image search that for the YouTube. <laughs> He's really bouncing <laughs> off the walls lately since he got that Oscar. Oh, no, here he go. Oh, look at him. Oh. Man, that was so crazy. Wow, He's bouncing around the walls explosive. behind my head. Um, do, okay, do. well, you know, I to quote our guest, Patrick Cayley, who might have been the one to part in the office, who knows? Oh, um, it was him? Who knows? <laughs> um, we, uh, no, he wasn't. He doesn't work in post. It was, it was not Pat. <laughs> it was, um, to quote our guest, Pat, um, you know, sometimes we do a good job, but as he said, uh, this time, we probably did not. No, we didn't. But we had probably some good... Not. We had some good talks. Good Sam, talks. Before we started the episode, you told me you had one more thing to share. And I said it would probably come up during the writing, and it didn't. I already did. It was about my mom's friend likes Cancel Cove and would watch it. That was it. That's, That's what you were going to share? Look, I look, I am, I talk, I don't talk to anyone right now. I am isolated in the woods. Uh, I am well, less have... interesting than I was before. Hopefully, Jimmy will get us this meeting with uh, Disney, and they'll they'll take the call from us yeah, this time. Yeah, maybe maybe he'll get us a job as Mr. Beast's dishwasher. Jesus, 
All right. We well, used to be in these rooms. Okay, we're going to get back. Right, well, that 2024, uh, the story of the podcast, too, is we are getting back on top. Yes, we fell off. Higher. Higher than top. We're going to get even I want, higher. I want to be gonna, on the tip. I want to get some We are going to be nominated for Oscars next year. Mark next our words. Year. Mark well, our words. Sam, this was super fun. Um, I want to say this to the audience, great. Good thank you for listening. Um, please remember to rate, you. review, subscribe. Um, obviously, with our current state in the industry, we could use all the help we could get. Uh, we used to be on top. We know you might have started listening because, like, we're the guys that did Spider-Man 4. We're the guys that did Elvis 2. But, like, this industry is full of trials and errors, you know? So, um, thank Ups and you. downs. We're in our second year now. It's our sophomore slump, maybe, but or no, we're well. Listen, keep listening, share, subscribe, and everything. Tell your friends. We can't wait to see you on the next episode, American Psycho Two, Podcast Two, Podcast Two. Can't wait to see you the on the sequel. next episode.